With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The sole aim of the enemy is that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, according to John 10, 10a. This is the sole mission of the enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He delights in the destruction of people and will do all within his power to put man and woman down. It is your responsibility as a believer to safeguard your spirit from the fiery darts of the enemy. While you are standing against the works of the devil, there are certain things you must avoid in order to prevent the enemy from gaining access into your spirit. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 The greatest enemy of your spirit is sin. As a matter of fact, sin is the origin of human problems. It was the reason why man and woman died spiritually in the Garden of Eden, and they went out of God's presence. Genesis 3.7-8 if we continue in sin today after being redeemed by Jesus Christ, we are leading our spirit to the second death, a state of eternal separation from God. Sin brings fear, guilt, and shame, which make it impossible to confidently approach God. Sin is the reason man lost his place with God and is still the reason why the world is in chaos. The only reward for sin is spiritual death. The kind of death Adam and Eve experienced after they disobeyed God, an inability to access God. If we want to flourish in our walk with God, we cannot continue to live in the terrible state from which God saved us. Walking into sin after being saved is like finding a pathway, but choosing to walk right into the bush. No matter how good we are to people, sin separates us from God and puts our spirit in a poor state. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You may not have realized that some of the things you do are sinful, but you need to realize that now. Gossiping about others is a sinful act which we must desist from. Rather than gossip and speak evil of others, you can think of advising them and showing them the right way. Or better still, you can choose to pray for them. If the time we spend in gossiping about others is converted into interceding for them, we would have gotten jaw-dropping testimony. James 4, 11 through 12. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. 
Who are you to judge another? Many believers are still caught in the webs of sin that are done in secret. This sin eats men up. Worldliness. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the love. You know, I have a lot of people that have come to me over the years and they've got classic thyroid questions. is not of the Father, but is of the world. 1 John 2, 15-16 The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is wired to draw the believer's attention away from God towards things of earthly value. And it is impossible to serve God and the world at the same time. You cannot follow two different masters and serve them both effectively. We have been called into a lifestyle that is different from the world's pattern. We have been raised up together with Christ. Therefore, our focus should be on things above and not things here. Colossians 3.2 Even though we live in this world, our real home is in heaven. And that is where our focus should be. We should not be carried away by every trend and the things that people of the world find pleasure in. If we are controlled by these things, we will lose focus of who we are and fall to the deception of the devil. Satan is the god of this world. See 1 John 5.19 Being controlled by the world is equal to being controlled by him and being controlled by Satan results in missing of one. Our actions in this world must be compatible with the word of God. After we have given our lives to Christ, we must walk our Christian journey and be fruitful in our service to God. Holiness is not an option or a case of if or should. It is God's command required for acceptable service unto him. You and I need to depart from unrighteousness, depart from sin. Praying a prayer one time in your life does not mean you are going to heaven. Looking around at your church and at other believers around you and comparing your life to your own, thinking, I'm the same as most of the believers in my church. I go places I shouldn't go. I watch things on the internet I shouldn't watch. I walk like the world. I talk like the world. I think like the world. But because I am comparing myself to other people in the church, I think I am a Christian. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, not in lack of spiritual exercise. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now and of that which is to come. 1 Timothy 4, 8. To ensure that we are physically fit, we exercise often. So it is in the spirit also. If your spirit lacks nourishment from the word, prayer, and the practice of the things of the spirit, Failure is inevitable. There is nothing else that can sustain you. Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The most accurate exposition of who we are and how we should live lies in God's word and fellowship with the Spirit. A branch that detaches itself from the tree cannot grow. From where will it get its nutrients? The reason why many believers are on their way to spiritual death 
is that they fail to exercise spiritually. They fail to connect with the source of eternal life. Matthew 4.4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Being unequally yoked. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? 2 Corinthians 6.14 In an agricultural old farming method, two oxen need to be similar in physique in order to work together. A yoke is used to join them. To be unequally yoked simply means to be joined to somebody you are not compatible with. It is impossible for two people to walk together without agreeing. Amos 3.3 Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? This is why Paul says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. 1 Corinthians 15.33 If you keep walking with unbelievers, you will be corrupted by their worldly beliefs. There is no relationship between light and darkness. You have no business with those who cannot inspire you to do the things of God, but rather consciously and unconsciously pull you into the life you left behind. Indiscipline. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 1 Corinthians 9.27 If you lack discipline and self-control, it will be difficult to maintain your walk with God. See Proverbs 25:28. Even as you trust the Holy Spirit to help you, you must make conscious decisions to stay away from people, things, or circumstances that can affect your relationship with God. Discipline your body to rise up and pray. Discipline your body to study. Discipline yourself to say no to the advertisements of the devil. Believers who lack discipline always fall victim to the devil's deception. Quenching the Spirit Do not quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 The Holy Spirit has emotions. He has a personality, and he can be hurt. When you continually ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit and neglect his instruction, you are practically telling him that you do not need him to survive, but you do need him. It is because you have him that you have life in your spirit. If he wasn't there, you'd still be less sensitive in the spirit. See Romans 8, 11. Failure to acknowledge and yield to him is tantamount to quenching the manifestation of his presence in his life. Nothing on earth is more important than your relationship with God. You must guard it with all you have. Flee from every person, thing, or activity that can destroy your spirit. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Over the last few months, that was pretty good. <laughs> That's what we need. We need to hear, hear from somebody else. He was, he was a. Uh, what some other believer have to say about uh, what we, where we're at. We're in a terrible fix today. If ye will hear his voice 
harden not your hearts as in the provocation. God speaks. He communicates to us in numerous ways. And the number one way God speaks to us is through the Bible. He also speaks to us through dreams, through nature, through our conscience, and even to our human spirits and through other believers. In fact, there are times when we are too preoccupied with our daily activities and routines, so much so that we are not sensitive to the Spirit of God or hear his voice yet. God put up all of these measures to ensure that we do not lack his divine guidance. But today we are going to talk about God speaking through his word, the Bible. The truth is, God wants to speak to you and God wants to guide. If he didn't, he would never have written the Bible. But he did write the Bible in order to guide you and me. And what I have seen is that some of us who attend church choose to ignore God's truth because we don't like hearing sermons that convict us or demand a change from us. This is the case, especially days before the Lord's return. The Bible has already said before the Lord's return, people will have itching ears. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. I used to think that this prophecy was for the unbelievers, but now I have come to understand that even so-called believers ignore the voice of God. In God's word, these days we have several believers who shield and harden their hearts against the word of God. In the parable of the sower, Jesus spoke about certain seeds that fell on rocky and stony ground. The seed was used by Jesus to typify God's word. While the different grounds represent the hard conditions of men who hear the word of God, the same seed that fell on stony ground is the same kind of seed that fell on fertile ground, but they do not produce the same result. There was absolutely nothing wrong with the seed, but its productivity is determined by the kind of ground on which it falls. That is exactly what happened when we hear the word of God. The word that blesses one might offend another because of the heart with which it is received. Hebrews 4 verse 2 reiterates on this. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. When you open the word of God, do you read only verses that encourage, comfort, or promise blessing? Are you reluctant to tackle the more difficult passages which prick your heart and conscience? 
You should look for verses on what God can do for you rather than what you need to do for Him. When you open the Bible and only look for verses that encourage, comfort, or promise blessings to you, you develop a faith called profitable faith, which means you will believe and obey God only if He will do something for you. And that is the faith that you will see these days. If you believe, you will have money. If you believe, you will be rich. There are a lot of people whose faith is built up on profitable faith, where their whole faith is based on what God has done for them. I believe in God because he answered my prayer. I believe in God because I prayed for this new house and he got it for me. You know what this faith is built on? This faith is built on what God does and not who God is. And if your faith is built on what God does for you, you have profitable faith. Your faith only stands when it profits, when it suits your agenda. This type of faith is built on cherry-picking the Word of God. In all honesty, we are often guilty when we pick and choose what to read in the Bible. Hear what 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17 say about the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Word of God does not only contain promises and blessings for us to claim, it also contains instructions, rebukes, and corrections which we must learn from. If you choose to read parts of the Bible that give you great promises, but refuse to heed the corrections and rebukes that the other parts may give, you will not be blessed. Claiming the promises of God's word and leaving its rebukes and instructions unattended to is not a way of living a balanced Christian life. What God intends for his word to do in our lives is to transform us from inside out so that we can reflect the image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. But when we shy away from the vital portions of the word of God that can help us, we build counterfeit faith, profitable faith and not true faith in the true and living God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The complete word of God even Satan in wilderness tried to twist the scriptures to his advantage against Jesus to try to use profitable faith. I can even go as far as saying profitable faith is satanic. We practice empty religion when we choose the kind of God's word that we want to hear. Sermons are meant to cut into the deepest recesses of our spirits and souls. When we realize where we have failed, the intention is that we run to Jesus, our high priest in confession and repentance in order to receive forgiveness. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick 
and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is meant to discern and judge the intents of our hearts and bring us into repentance so that we will not, at any point, lose sight of God. God's word is not meant to condemn us, but to correct us. Therefore, we must always humble ourselves to accept the truth that it communicates. The result effect of heeding the word of God is always positive and not detrimental. But we cause ourselves great harm when we shy away from the truth of God's word. Finally, I like to leave you with these scriptural verses. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 and 10, which says, Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. We cannot pick and choose what sections of the Bible we will listen to. By doing that, we are ignoring the word of God and are developing counterfeit faith. Nowadays, we don't hear much about the dangers of backsliding. Backsliding in the scripture is always seen as a very serious matter. When we hear the word backsliding, it comes with several negative connotations and conveys an image of an individual. So, my favorite sport watch. It is not necessarily limited to just this. You see, backsliding is not limited to simply falling back, but it is also failing to go forward spiritually. The truth is, growth is a principle. If there is no growth, there is a problem. If you and I are not moving forward in Christ, then we are naturally going backwards. In the Christian life, there is no standing still. We are either progressing or regressing. Jeremiah 2, verse 19. Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backsliding will rebuke you. Know, therefore, and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God, and fear of it is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. Jeremiah 3.22 says, Return you backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. It is however alarming to see quite the number of believers getting swayed to the point of backsliding and not realizing. So you begin to wonder, how does an individual backslide and not know? 
Or did it just happen over the process of time? Or was it a sudden event? Well, there are clear indicators that show us that someone is backsliding. And this is what I use personally to evaluate my life. I am preaching to myself today just as much as I am preaching to you. Firstly, a clear indication that we are backsliding is a decrease in our prayer time. Prayer is an essential lifeline that sustains every single believer. The action word, pray, is mentioned 313 times in the King James Version of the Bible, while the noun, prayer, is mentioned 114 times. There is no substitute for prayer. To have a Christian experience with God that is second to none and full of quality and life-changing purposeful experiences, prayer must be continually offered. I don't think some of you know how important your prayer life is. Your prayer life is a direct indicator of your relationship with God. You cannot separate your prayer life your Christian walk. How do you expect to develop and nurture a relationship with God when you don't speak to Him? How do you expect to walk in authority and in power when you don't go to the source of all authority and all power? One week without prayer makes one week. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 admonishes us to pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. And the truth is, some of you who are listening to me right now, your prayer life is not what it used to be. There was a time in your life when you used to pray and all the demons of hell within a mile radius would run. But somewhere along the line, you gave up. Somewhere along the line, you stopped praying. Remember, the seven sons of sin were asked by the demon spirit in Acts 19 15. This is 
become a major pitfall. The prophet Habakkuk said that God's eyes are too pure to behold sin. God can never compromise his standard of holiness. Sin stands between the sinner and the loving God. Why will a person call God and yet not receive a response? It is the problem of sin. There is no doubt that the hands of God are not too short, that they cannot save. However, people still perish. It is true that God is not dull of hearing, yet many people's calls are disregarded by him. The reason for all of these is that sin separates us from God. We limit the... God, when we begin to commit sins that will not allow him to prove his awesomeness in our lives. Oswald Smith once said that it is either the Bible takes you from sinning or sin will stop you from studying it. Sinners will always be known to live their lives in isolation from God. No one will ever be bold to read and to study the Bible or to come to the presence of God with filthiness. Sin has a way of separating us from God. It is not the judgment of sin that separates a man from God. It is sin itself. Remember that God had not yet pronounced judgment against the sin of Adam and Eve before they hid themselves from his presence. Sin isolates us from divine presence. The effect of sin will be more grievous if after we have given our lives to Christ, we choose to sin willfully. Do you ever wish to enjoy a sweet fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to live close to the heart of God? Once you remove the barrier of sin, your access to God cannot be denied. You may find it hard to believe this, but that's just the truth. He loves you and wants to associate closely with you. Galatians 6, 7 says, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God wants you to sow in spiritual life so that you can live a life that is pleasing unto him. The third and final indication we're going to look at today is indifference to evangelism or salvation of others. 1 Timothy 2.4, it is the will of God for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Salvation is at the peak of the plans and purposes of God for humanity. It is a priority to him, and as such, it must be a priority to us. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached. I genuinely believe that if we got a glimpse of the hell, if we just saw 10 seconds,
argue and preach the gospel would change. Hell is a place you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy. And the truth is, hell is a topic that is seldomly preached in the 21st century. But the truth is, hell is as much of a reality in the Bible as heaven. Hell is a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a place where the rich man went after he died in the Bible. And we see this in Luke 16, 23. And in hell he lifted up his eyes. Just imagine what the rich man saw when he lifted up his eyes and realized where he was. The thoughts that raced through his head, there is no exit, there are no second chances. I believe when the rich man lifted up his eyes, he must have thought it was a bad dream and that he would wake up in a moment. But that was his eternity. How can we live with the knowledge of this and not preach the after 15 months, U.S. Attorney John Durham has filed the first criminal Matthew. Well, I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. There are several warnings. Jesus Christ being to us in the scriptures. However, there are some of them that we do not take cognizance of. Instead, we forget them because we treat them lightly and see them as insignificant. Every word and especially warnings that Jesus gave must not be treated with levity because Christ's warnings are not to be toyed with. Anyone who violates the warnings of Christ will only have him or herself to blame. Matthew 10, 26, 33. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetop. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cup of coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's wheel. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than any sparrow. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him, Will I also confess before my Father, who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him, I will also deny before my Father, who is in heaven. In Matthew 10, 26 through 33, 
Jesus was teaching on the subject of fear. And he told the people who they are to fear. We are to fear God, not man. Man can destroy the body, but not the soul. But God can take a man's life and still cast his soul into hell. The reason Jesus brought up the issue of fear before giving us this warning, which is almost forgotten in this modern era, is that we often fear man at the expense of God. This may be due to the fact that God is not palpable, and because he is not seen by the naked eye, we tend to undermine his terror. In order not to become victims of God's terror, Jesus warns us before the day of judgment that whosoever fear man at the expense of God will ensure his wrath. What makes people deny Christ before me is not exclusive to fear. Although there are several human factors that could make a believer to deny Christ before men. However, fear of persecution is a major factor. Apart from the issue of fear, there are many ways we deny Christ in our generation. Even when we are not under the pressure persecution. Denying Christ is rapid among believers in this generation. Some believers cannot witness Christ to others, not because they will be persecuted, but because they are ashamed of associating with Christ. Some believers would choose not to preach the gospel because they feel they will be mocked. In this matter, we become disobedient to God in regards of the Great Commission while denying Christ. Our lifestyle largely determines whether we are denying Christ or not. Believers are not supposed to be living for themselves, but for Christ. Remember that we were bought with a price. And if we were bought, it then implies that we do not belong to ourselves. Like Apostle Paul, our testimony must be that it is no longer us that live but Christ living in us. Galatians 2.22 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Therefore, if at any point we choose to live for ourselves and refuse to showcase the very life of Christ, then we have denied him before men. Our lives do not belong to us, but to Christ. Hence, we must live for him. Christ expects us to deny ourselves instead of him. He purchased us with his precious blood. Therefore, we no longer have the liberty to live a selfish life, but a life that is Christ-centered. Hear what Jesus said in Luke 9:23, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We don't have any other place to go other than where Christ leads us. And we have no life to live other than to live for Christ. If our lives are not reflecting the will of Christ, we have denied him. Let others see Jesus in you and allow your life to reflect Christ. Unbelievers do not read the Bible. They read our lives. Unfortunately, many people go to church, but there is nothing Christ-like about their lives. Christianity is not a religion. Rather, it is a lifestyle. Acts 11.26 says this about the early Christians. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The early Christians were not the ones who named themselves Christians. It was the people in Antioch that called them Christians. What makes you a Christian is not the point that you go to church, but the fact that your words and actions are Christ-like. The word Christian means little Christ. Our lives must therefore revolve around Christ. Jesus commanded us in Matthew 5.16, thus, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. When our lives reflect Christ, God will be glorified by people through us. But when we profess to be Christians, and our lifestyles are not in consonance with our professions, the people of the world will have occasion to speak against God through us. There must be something about your life as a believer that will impress unbelievers and attract them to Christ. If your lifestyle is not different from the lifestyles of unbelievers, then by what means will you prove that you are saved? 
Would the people in your neighborhood or workplace attest to the fact that you are a child of God? Do you just bear a Christian name, but do not reflect the life of Christ? You do not only deny Christ when you refuse to talk about him before men. You also deny him when your life is not in agreement with the standard of God. James 4.4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You cannot embrace the world and embrace Christ at the same time. If you embrace the way of the world, you have automatically denied Christ. Jesus said that there is no one that can serve two masters. You can never please Christ and please the world. One must go for the other. To remain. As believers, we must heed the warning of Christ and ensure not to deny him here on the earth. The consequence of denying Christ on earth is that he will in turn deny us, not only before men, but before God and his angels. Philippians 2, 13 through 16. I want to ask you a question. Explain from A to Z what's wrong with people and what people need to do. And I just want to say this young man explained verse by verse, and, and, and I love the way he lay, he lay it out. He's not talking to the world. He's telling saints what they are not, but he sees that we do. And I just want to uh, get some intake from Elder Young. Uh, Oh, was it, is, is he plain or, or did he do anything so tell it in your way what you what what you, what, what you hear here this, this, this preacher is talking about yeah mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, Leon, you there? I'm here. Well, I was asking you, is not this preacher, or is not this preacher, given a, a total layout from A to Z what the saints of God look like, talk like, walk like? Well, 
that's two ways that can be looked at as I listen. He's saying what they don't or shouldn't be uh, doing or acting like. He, he more or less pointed out the shortcomings of those that claim to be Christ like. But how do you actually overcome those indiscretions or shortcomings? And I guess that's more or less what I would ask or concentrate on. He said, in order for you and I not be caught up, you know, with these devices, uh, even fellowshipping with unbelievers, uh, being unequally yoked in marriage, uh, you look out at people in the world, and then you sit in the church, and you compare yourself with, with the people in the church and the people that say, well, you know, everybody is doing it. But to, to my understanding, Elio, this preacher, and he still ain't through, but, but I just had to stop him for a minute because I've been listening to him, and I said, you know, and, and it's been a blessing to me to listen to him. And I think that if we would listen, and you know, when you said, but, I thought about, but how will they know? But then the Holy Spirit said, more they partake of me, more I can be in their view. And, And that's a big problem this morning and I'm going to let you have word, is that we have gotten out of God's view, intentionally thought that we was like uh, Adam and Eve, when and hid from he that made the body. Certainly he knows, he knows which direction it went in. So go ahead, Elia, please. And I have a question. So basically, what is he saying we should do? He said that we should cut, cut, cut it away right quick, quickly when you see it growing, cut it off. Okay, what is it that we should cut off? Because Jesus associated more with uh, sinners than with quote unquote church folk. Right. That's right. But he had he had the Father's spirit. So he had strength. You know? Don't we have don't we have that same spirit? We had the same spirit. He breathed our nostrils and we became a living soul. But this is a self examination where one has to examine himself because 
if you're going to be a disciple and you're going to win souls, you know, then your neighborhood can't know you as a neighborhood drunk, but then, you know, you want to win somebody. So that means that my own life must imitate the life of Christ, and then I can be around anybody doing anything. But I must have, I can't be like the seven sons of Sceva. I got to have that power. And in order to get that power, you're only going to get it through the word and prayer. And that's what he's explaining. But on the other aspect, I'm listening to you, and I'm and I'm pulling out of you. Same thing is that it is true what you said, but to each his own. You know, it's how God deals with one heart. You know, you you're a minister, so God He pulls your heart toward Him because we we profess. We confessing to be Christ-like, so then it keeps pulling us. And then as we be like Lot's wife, we keep looking back. And that's my take. That's my take on the truth concerning the life of others and my own life. What am I looking back for? Go ahead, other young. Yeah. I don't, I'm not looking back, but I'm, but I am realizing that in order for people to be saved, I can't cut myself off from them. You know, scripture says we're in the world, but not of it. So we can be around those people. We have to be around them in order to win them, but we can't participate in what they're participating in. That's where the uh, problem comes. We try to witness the people after we have been doing the same thing that they have been doing with them, and yet we, then we want to turn around and uh, tell them about getting saved. And I'm sure the question would come in their mind because it would be in mine. Well, what's the difference between you and I? You say you say, but you're doing the same thing that I'm doing. That is so right. That is so right. And that's what that's what the whole mantra is about. But you remember, we're only preaching. The Bible was written only to those that were saved because the carnal mind is not subject. So the statement is correct. One hundred percent, what you're saying is is two hundred and fifty percent right. Is that um, if you're going to win somebody? To the most high, <laughs> I don't care how long you've been preaching, whether you be apostle or you be the bishop or you be the the, the pope, <laughs> you cannot participate in the same activity that they participate in, whether it be with them or or, or they saw it. You, you know, so your statement is very very true, and I hope that you know somebody out there in Radio Land is being helped. As, as well as you know, this 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 message is to help the is to help the believer because remember, it's not going to help the unbeliever until it helps the believer. Once the believer get healed, then the believer can go and spread healing. Go ahead, all young. Well, you pretty well covered it. I mean, there are so many people, and I have another minister friend of mine. And we be communicating, and we ask ourselves, 
why is it? And I might ask you, and you might have an answer, or you might have asked yourself the same question. Why is it that we don't see the miracles today in the churches and by the believers that we read about in the Bible? God, is the scripture says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So if that's true, why we don't see the miracles today? Where are they? That's a very simple, simple question. But what's the answer? The answer is because uh, Smith Wigglesworth and Catherine Kuhlman, uh, Elisha's spirit fell upon Elisha, and Elisha was carrying out the work of God. And then our people, back when they were preaching, your auntie and them was preaching, uh, she's dead, you know. Uh, and uh, the, the, the message is not dead. The gospel is not dead. But he wants to raise him up somebody. It's like the man said. The man said they don't witness because of fear of others. They don't witness because they're ashamed of God. I mean, miracles after miracles. You and I, we see them, and we hear about them still to this very, very hour. But at the same token, they're not in the church. We don't see them in the church. And why we don't see them in the church is because they deny the power. As soon as you get up, as soon as you get up in in your boy's church, and you get happy, and you just bubbling over with joy, I thought you'd come there to get happy. The urge is coming, urging you right on out to the side and let you <laughs> lay there and cry like your husband and beat you down. So that is the main cause of we don't see miracles because they're denying the power thereof, which has crept in false apostles, apostates, and they're swaying the people. That's the problem. That's the biggest problem. Uh, Sister Alice, do we have any intake on this here? And we'll just pass the round table. We're talking about what we heard and trying to find out what we went wrong at. Yes. Yes. Did you have have any take or put on what we're talking about and basically what the preacher was was, was doing, what we were listening to? Not not really, other than... uh, you know, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing there, there are people that are being healed today that, uh, you know, you see them, people like uh, who are free from cancer, you know, your mother, you don't think that's a miracle? Oh, but we was talking about in the church, we thought. We was talking about in the, in the church. All of them are miracles. Uncle Junior, my you, mama. You got a sister, because we don't know how many people. Don Lee, you know, I mean, Kelsey and everything have tried saying, but we be trying to tell us you better get some word. It's the word of God as living, the living word, Hebrews 4.12. 
you a miracle. But inside the church, I see them rolling around still and swinging on chandeliers. They go back to the same thing as a dog returned to his woman. Okay, thank you, Sister Addison. Uh, Ella Young, you, you got any, any any other take or any questions or, or answers to bless us? I just wanted to say, just as, you know, in the book of Acts, where it said that the Lord backed up his word with signs and wonders. So if we are teaching and preaching the true gospel, there'll be the manifestations. Jesus said these signs shall follow them that believe. So if we're true believers and we're preaching the true gospel, there has to be some evidence. So if we don't see the evidence, that means we need to examine two things. One, the life that we're living, and two, the gospel that we're preaching. Amen. Second Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself. You know, what, where are you? Was, it has, has to be also where the places you, you're talking about seeing miracles in the churches. Sometimes it's the churches that you go to. You go into the uh, maybe you go into the wrong church. That's that could be true. I mean this this thing has really gotten serious. You know, it's been it's been just bothering me for a long time. That uh, uh, and the different things he tell me to do, the three microphone thing. He said it's too much confusion. The people don't know what church to go to. The church is not called by my name, which should be called the Church of God. It's called by Agnes St. Albert. I mean, just too many names. I can't I can't even get into the name of a church, the Baptist Church, Catholic, you know, Hindu, you know. And it's not it's not for whatever a, a religion fits you, whatever church fits you. We're not to be fitted. We were already fitted at the birth. Amen. We came into the world. He breathed in the man, now the man became a living soul, which is a tripod being, which is spirit, body, and soul. So the body uh, goes to corruption, but the spirit and the soul of man, it goes back to God. So if we can get our spirit man type of food that it needs today, because it is an urgent, it is an urgent need today, very urgent need today that we are. Uh, get to know who we are. We need to get to know who we are so we can know what are we doing. What are we doing? And is we doing it for self-gratification? Or are we doing it because we've been forced to do it? Whatever the situation is, uh, Yeshua is the focal, is the very, very uh, a focal point. You know, the Bible, James, a reference back to Yahuwah, you know, uh, Paul, all of them, you know, they, they refer back to the Savior. You know, we give him all kind of names, but whatever name you give him, it's okay. As long as you know the works and the demonstration. And and, and, and really, you know, I said I was going to talk to you earlier and just tell you, you know, if we be preachers of righteousness and preachers of the gospel, why we don't have better fellowship? You know, and, and it's not a question. It's, it's really, it's really a, a, it's a statement. It's a statement to myself and to you and to my wife and to everybody 
that call on the name, gee, there's no problem. They're calling on his name, but they have no fellowship. If they have no fellowship, they ain't prayed. They certainly ain't read nothing. So then the enemy, as uh, the preacher said, the enemy come in. He come in a small way. And before you know it, and, and, and that's what really all, it brings me back to spiritual warfare. And so now everything is lining up with me. The reason I teach on spiritual warfare, because the believer has been encircled by demons, and so they're being demonized. Because you know, ain't no, ain't no, ain't no real believer uh, possessed by no demon, unless they were sold into this thing, you know, at birth or as they got older. You know, they were sold into it by their parents. So, but that's that's another thing. But still, God didn't put that on them. We got problems today with people uh, losing uh, children and stuff. That just adds to their hate for God. You know, and something has to be done about it. So as as you said, that the people... It, it, it was a backslide, you know, just backslide because we're still talking about the saints. Because if the saints don't get right, why should the world look at you? Oh, that hypocrite. So I'm just grateful this morning for that uh, brother here that's, that, that's really, really expeditiously. He's really, really preaching, you know. He's, he's really trying to get somebody to understand. And, and it's coming to an end, and I, I want to hear the ending, but I, 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 in case somebody had to go, I, I, I wanted them to hear this. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as light in the world, holding fast to the word of life. See right there, that's a key factor right there, that we may be the light. Psalms 139. Your light and your darkness are the same. So it's very, very interesting for us to partake, take of these attributes. As we hear them, we need to ask ourselves, am I holding fast to my confession of faith? Let's see what he say. So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in After 15 months, U.S. Attorney John Durham... When it, it gets good, they always try to get through in a commercial. <laughs> it's all good. Every final word will be judged. The Bible repeatedly tells us that one day our lives will be examined. Chapter 12, verse 36 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Jude chapter 1, verses 14 through 15 says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seven from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Wow. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the book, according to what they had done. And Romans chapter 2, verse 16 says, On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Judgment day is a day you cannot avoid. Church, you can avoid reading your Bible. You can even avoid your own responsibility. But the Bible makes it clear to us there is an appointment that you and I cannot avoid. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. Either by death or by the second coming of Jesus, everyone will appear on the judgment day to be judged according to his deed, action, and words when he was on earth. Judgment day is not an event anyone has choice and freedom to attend or not, but a day that is appointed to all men to receive his reward of everything he has done, either good or bad. So I want to ask you today, are you aware of the things our life will be reviewed on? Today we are going to focus on one of them. Let us look at the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 through 37 says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. A lot of people think of words as smoke and mirrors, so people speak thoughtlessly and think that doesn't matter. God sees it differently and has revealed it to us differently in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, there are two crucial words in this verse. The first word is the word idle. It comes from the root Greek word argos. It means not busy, idle, inactive, doing nothing, when we apply it as Jesus did here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, it has the idea of careless or casual work. Our second word, account, comes from the Greek word apodiomi, which means to give an answer. Jesus is saying that everyone will have to give God an answer for even their casual conduct. According to the undergraduate biology research program, the average person uses around 16,000 words Per day. That is 112,000 words per week. That is 448,000 words per month. And that is 5,280,000 words per year. That is 52,800,000 words per second. All the while, a record of each of these words is being kept. I don't know how God keeps account of the words of every single person, but there is a record. On Judgment Day, God will not only examine the best parts of your life, but he will be digging into the details of your life, every word, every decision, every action, and every thought. That's why we should be careful with our words. The scripture in 
there is two parts to follow. Part will entail those who have accepted Jesus Christ as God's gift of eternal life and have strong faith in him. John chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This is where Jesus will examine each believer's words and works and determine what rewards will be given or withheld in eternity. Referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That judgment does not determine eternal destiny, nor can a believer lose their salvation there. In John chapter 10, verse 28, saying, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The second part is where the non-believers will be judged on their own self-righteousness and come short of accomplishing being God's preferred. See this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Frequently referred to as the white throne judgment. When Jesus returns, we will be accountable for every action and word. So it includes every careless word we've spoken. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. It is our Lord who spoke this word. Let's ponder his warning. He forgets not a single one of our words, even if we forget many. Remember every word you spoke last week? Talking is a gift, but also a great responsibility. We have forgotten what we said or talked about with one of our fellow human beings. God did not forget it. He wrote it down. What a harvest awaits us on Judgment Day. There is persuasiveness in speech. Influence can emanate from it that inflicts blows, leaves deep marks, and has long-lasting consequences. Person concerned, the spoken words remain like a moral poison that makes him sad, torments him, and brings him into the inner darkness. Those guilty of it will not go unpunished. We easily forget, but God forgets nothing. What we have forgotten continues to do its harmful work. Those who have harmed the reputation of others through slander can keep a good reputation themselves, sing spiritual songs, and take the sacrament. See the profanation, superficiality, and hypocrisy that lies in it as God sees it? What to do? We must be so overwhelmed by the recognition of our guilt that we learn to be silent once and for all and listen to what God says. But I tell you that on the day of judgment, people must give an account of every idle word they say have spoken. There are things that we can and must fix, primarily with the people we harmed and also with those we talk to. But, very serious, there is an injustice that we cannot undo. I want to watch my ways so that I do not sin with my tongue. My mouth in check. Lord, put a watch on my mouth, said David, referencing Psalm 39, verse 2, and Psalm 141, verse 3. And instead of the Lord Jesus, that the Lord is Words tell you whether someone has a good or a bad heart. But it is the heart that justifies or condemns us before God. Today, on the day of repentance, let us search our hearts. We only need to ask what kind of fruit it produces out of our mouth. 
What do we have to compare our words with? Are they rotten eggs that we throw at others, with which we shame, annoy, and humiliate them? Or are they pieces of jewelry with which we adorn and honor our fellow human beings? Are our words clubs that we hit others over the head with? Or are they like an ointment that heals wounds? In any case, our words show something of what our hearts are like. We always have it at the back of our mind that every word and action counts on the judgment day. There won't be any reason to justify our words, but all will be charged either to our favor or against us. We have the choice to decide now and be cautious and watchful of any idle words. You will have to stand before him, and on that day, will you regret the words that you spoke aimlessly? God wants us to be intentional in the things we say. If life and death are in the power of the tongue, we must not be frivolous with our words. We must weigh the things we say before we aim them at another person, or before we aim them at ourselves. We are told that as good members of the kingdom, we are commanded to avoid all empty, vain or it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Second Timothy 2, verse 16. Well, I think that's awesome. So as the preacher was talking, come to my mind that we're that are on the line those that are on Facebook yes. I want to first start with my wife and I want to say for all the reckless words that I have spoken to her I don't want to be judged by God for those words Elder Young or whoever else on the line I want to repent and I want to ask for forgiveness because you don't ask for forgiveness of whom you committed a word to or however, whatever, you're not going to be forgiven. I just want to ask those that can hear me that are on the line this morning to forgive me for my reckless words that I may repent this morning. So I won't have to stand and be judged by God with these record words that I have used. Those on the line that wants to forgive me for my recklessness, words I use, I I would like to hear. I'm not forgiven. You're forgiven, guys. Amen, because I, I... I think that it should start. It should start at home, you know. And I, I forgive you. I forgive you, honey. I forgive you, and I hope that you have, will forgive me as well if I've said or done anything that is not like Christ-like toward you, or that you felt it in your heart. Please forgive me. Hallelujah. As well. If that, if that I have done, I will do. Uh, 
that strong minister uh, preaching, bringing conviction, repentance, and everything. Now we're ready to do the work for the kingdom. Problem was self. We victimize our own self because of what we can't do. Well, it's nothing that you can't do. Just do it. But you got to look like what you're talking about. <laughs> so if if you got a mask, though, you've got to unmask, you know. So, but he looks at our heart today. Amen. He, uh, uh, he, 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 that's why he said he knows those that are here. I'm grateful you have any, anyone have any other words? I was uh, listening to, uh, you'll see when someone loves you. I've got a lot of things that I'm listening to going to really, really help me. You know, we need some self-help. He's right there in the midst of our self-help, you know, with us, you know, so. I guess I guess this day is a day of reckoning. So one day he's going to recompense us. Uh, our involuntary reward is with him. And I just believe, Father, you know everything that we don't know. You know everything we do know. We ask you this morning, being that you are the great I am, you do whatever you desire to do through the listeners that plug their ears in to hear this so great a truth. We ask you to touch our eyes, our ears, anything that will cause your gospel to be tainted, our hands, our feet, our mouth. Father, we don't want to hear no evil, speak no evil. If it's evil, give us the victory over it, that they may be one to the kingdom, Father. Lord, no longer I, them, or they, it's you. Take the reins of our hearts. And, Father, lead us. As a horse is led by the bits in his mouth, put the word, the bits of God in our mouth, our spirit and our soul. Make us fit for this use, Father. And Lord, I, I feel something coming on even for today to tell you people, I don't know what to do, what you're saying, but you work it out, Father, so that you can get the glory out of these ministers. We thank you. We give you the glory. And we thank you over and over and over and over out of the bottom of the depths of our heart. Words cannot express love by which you've loved us. You've taught us the truth again. We thank you. Thank you. We glorify you. We ask you to draw us in to a deeper relationship. Get us out of us. Fill this us with the you so we can do the things that you have spoken where this preacher have preached this word to us this morning. We thank you for my cousin, Ella Young, my wife, for you all out there on Facebook and a speaker. 
and all the other places you get this message. Please don't abort this message. Don't just throw it away. Don't just uh, uh, put it down. But do what you heard uh, the preacher say. You know where the message at. And you've heard the message of truth this morning from not only me, but from another minister. We thank you this morning, Father, for telling us the truth, showing us the truth. Now it's up to us to repent and to turn. The Bible says godly sorrow bringing repentance. Only he can take hold of the reins of your heart today. He's the only one that can bring you out. And he wants to bring us out today. He wants to bring us out of our own self so he can use us in this hour. Let him use you today. Let him heal and deliver you today. Let him make you free for his use. For the Bible says hot and cold can't flow out of the same fountain. He said no faith is dangerous. So if you don't have faith enough today to believe that this message is true, and it's an on-time message, seeing the shape that the world is in, seeing the promiscuity, the idolatry, the adultery, and all of the things that man has uh, fashioned himself to do, bringing it in the church house and making it right before the eyes of the Most High. I just thank you this morning, Father, but I know that your word is true, and there's a great conviction in my house Father, I ask you to surround us this morning, hallelujah, with your glory. Have thy own way today, and whatever you do, you, do it with us involved, because we, we wouldn't be here this long if it wasn't something we needed from you this morning. And only you can give it, Father. Only you can give us what we need, hallelujah. Only you can do it, Father. And we receive yes, it, Father. We receive it in the abundance of your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I will follow you. Oh, 
Yes. I can. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.